Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. There are many different paths you can take, but there's only one road to Atlanta. Drive deep out to left field. He clubbed it. Brady twisting and turning, looking up and giving up. It's a home run for Danby Swanson. Flair out towards shallow right. That's big trouble. Alvey's going back. He dives and he makes the catch. What a play, Ozzie Alvey. Swanson is headed for three. He'll try for it inside the parker. Relay throw comes toward the plate. He'll score standing, and it's his second inside the park home run of the season. This is your weekly podcast dedicated to the Atlanta Braves farm system. Follow the show on Twitter at Road, the number two, Atlanta. Now, hit the road with your hosts, Eric Cole, Gaurav Vidak, and Garrett Spain. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Road to Atlanta, a podcast devoted solely to the Braves farm system and Braves prospects. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cole. You may recognize me from my work over on Talking Chop, where I've been for the past five seasons or so. I've been covering the minor leagues primarily the last year or two. I've been doing more major league stuff as well. You can find me over on Twitter at Leprechaun with a K, where I'm tweeting about the major leagues, the minor leagues, and basically everything in between, as well as some things that bother me from time to time. Also joining me this evening are my two co-hosts, Gaurav Vidak and Matt Powers, my co- colleagues over on Talking Chop. You can find Gaurav over on Twitter at GVDAC or at the Braves Reddit account as well. Graf, how are you, my friend? Doing well. Looking, looking forward to actually, I just read Matt Power's draft recap and it's absolutely excellent. You guys definitely should give it a read. Yeah, Matt put what, about 6,000 words in on that one. You can find over, you can find more words on the draft and a lot of amateur stuff in the minor leagues. Uh, I, Matt Power's 31 on Twitter. Matt, how do you feel about writing 6,000 words about the draft? Took me a little longer than I expected, but I didn't want to do something half-assed, so here we are about two weeks later for it to actually come out, and it was longer than I expected, but the quality that I expected, so I'm good with that. Yeah, it's actually an indispensable resource. If you can, you can find it on Talking Shop. Uh, if you, if it's already kind of been pushed off the front page, just search like 2019, uh, Braves Draft Recap. And you'll be able to find it, um, with, with, like, especially with the search term talking chop. It's like 6,000 words. He's included video from like three fourths of the draftees. Uh, it, they don't, the video doesn't necessarily line up with the guys that we know have signed yet. Like there's some unsigned guys that we have video for and there's some signed guys that we don't have video for. But it's a really great resource. This is a quick, this is who, who the Braves drafted and kind of a quick hit with some really good information on all these guys rather than just the sentence or two you might have gotten elsewhere. It's really, it's a really in-depth thing. 6,000 words is a big deal. Uh, I was kind of making fun of Matt as to how, how long it was and we might have to split up into like five parts or something. But honestly, it's going to be one of those evergreen resources that as we're looking at these guys, especially when they're going through rookie ball, that they're going to be, uh, you're going to be kind of like looking like, who is this guy? What is he about? And, you know, where do we pick him? That This is the resource that you're going to want to just bookmark, and that way you can look at later. Uh, I'm going to apologize in advance, and honestly, Matt and Garab are going to have to carry me 
a little bit on this episode. Uh, I've been under the weather. Uh, I had a rather painful medical thing happen this past couple, a couple days ago, and I'm still kind of recovering. I will do my absolute best to not, uh, to try to bring some energy and to bring some insight, but I, I can kind of feeding my, feel myself fading as we speak. So hopefully everything will go well. Uh, this week's episode is just going to be a mailbag. It's just going to be a good time where we, you know, answer questions from listeners. We're kind of at the point now where we're seeing some of these draftees getting assigned. Uh, Shea Langoliers as well as uh, Braden Shoemaker are going to be at Rome, and I'll be heading there tomorrow to hopefully get, provide some insight as to how those guys are looking. Uh, it's going to be kind of nuts there because it's also Austin Riley bobblehead night uh, on the same night, so it's going to be a little bit kind of hectic there to kind of get really good looks at them. But hopefully we'll be able to get a good sense as to kind of what they look like coming right at right into pro ball. Uh, you know, spoilers, you might want to, you know, just temper your expectations considering these are their first couple professional starts. But I, I have a feeling that they're going to be really, it's going to be really interesting to see kind of how they mesh with that Rome team. Cause, and hopefully the, you know, especially those first round picks, you want to see some sort of value right away, or at least kind of see the potential there. Um, without further delay, and, um, we're going to kind of alternate back and forth as to how, who's going to be answering these questions first, but we'll all kind of share our thoughts. Uh, Robbie Tinsley, Tinsley asked, you know, if you, he wasn't sure if this was a mailbag question, and especially since it can get a little long-winded, but um, he was curious about the 2018 draft guys and kind of how those picks are doing right now. Uh, kind of an interesting draft, and Matt, I'll kick it to you first. Uh, kind of who are the 2018 draft guys that are still kind of catching your eye? So I realize he hasn't played much this year, but C.J. Alexander is the guy that really stands out for me. I mean, what he did last year after being drafted in the 20th round is special, and I don't think he was ever fully healthy this year, and I think that might have affected the numbers that he put up in the short time that he played. But obviously he's a guy you can't forget about the two big outfielders from Rome, even though one's no longer in Rome anymore, and uh, Trey Harris and um, Justin Dean. I mean, those guys have done nothing but hit especially Harris, who's just put up crazy numbers, and he's continued to put them up in Florida since promotion. Dean is actually just coming back off the injured list today, but he's produced and he's done absolutely everything you can ask for. Uh, pitching has done pretty well, too. Uh, Trey Riley has not put up the best numbers, but that wasn't totally unexpected for him because he was a cold weather arm, and he had a lot of stuff that he had to really refine, but he's still a guy that I liked quite a bit. Uh, Grayson Janista hasn't quite hit as well as you'd hope at this point, but he's still a guy that's worth watching for me. Uh, one of my favorite relievers from last year's draft is Cameron Kurz, who won one appearance last year, I want to say, or was it two, but he missed the entire rest of the year, and he's about to get his first action this year now that the Danville season has started. So he's a guy that's worth watching. Um couple other guys that have been hurt include A.J. Graffinino and Tristan Beck. We haven't really gotten to see a ton of them this year. And Nolan Kingham's been a little uneven, but when he's on, he's really on. And I think we're going to get into him a little later, so I didn't want to say too much about him yet. That's about right. Uh, Grav, any, any guys that are kind of catching your eye uh, out of this draft class before I kind of chime in on some of my thoughts? Yeah, pretty much everyone that Matt just said. Uh, if I had to pick one more person to add on to that list, it'd probably be Victor Vodnik, who uh, performed real well this year. He's, he's a big kind of on. following the same. Yeah, I'm thinking of him. Same. Sorry, what was that? 
I said I was not even thinking him. I was not even yeah, looking at the list right? and forgot he was part of that class. That, that makes that draft class even, even more attractive, doesn't it? It really does. So, yeah, it's really the, the main person I would add in, you know. Didn't really put much stock into Trey Harris when we originally drafted him, but all he does, all he's done is made all of us shut up and eat our own words. Like, we didn't necessarily think it was a bad draft pick, just didn't really think he would do what he's doing, and it's awesome to watch. Yeah, Trey Harris being a 30-second round pick and turning into, like, a he's not just, like, a top 30 prospect. Like, he's... He's very comfortably in the top 30, I think. Uh, I'm, I'm, we're, we're going to be releasing our new top 30 during the All-Star break, and you're going to be seeing some of these guys uh, that we've just talked about on that list. Uh, a couple other names. Uh, I really like Craig Cullen. He, Greg Cullen. He's a guy that just all he does seems to do is hit, and he, he whenever you see him hit, it's not like uh, – they're not cheap. Uh, and he, since he's a second baseman, you kind of look at the numbers a little bit, and you're like, I, okay, he he'll hit for some average, you know, and he maybe he'll have a little bit of power. He hits balls with authority, and he and he's a strong dude. I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up kind of continuing to refine his like, you know, refine his approach in terms of getting a little bit more loft in his swing, and he ends up putting better numbers than I think you you would expect from a 15th rounder. Uh, Jake Higginbotham's still a guy that I like. The results have been a little bit uneven, but it's a live arm that has some pedigree as a prospect. Um. I did want to mention, obviously Carter Stewart was the ninth overall pick, the, the eighth overall pick, and he did not sign, and now he's pitching over in, uh, which league is he pitching in? So one of the Asian leagues, I can't remember. Um, is it the Korean league? Uh, Japan. He's Japan. over in Japan, but yeah. I think he's going to start out in their version of the minor leagues instead gotcha. of going right into the main Japanese league. Yeah, he's he kind of took a different path, and he's going to try to get back into the major leagues that way, pitching in a Japanese professional league, and then getting posted kind of through that system. That's right, he has to be in the Japanese league because he's kind of relying on that posting system. And it gets him a little bit more money along the way since his uh, draft stock took a big hit once he was in JUCO, which makes you kind of wonder maybe the Braves did actually see something, and there was you know a reason to not sign him. Uh, uh, Matt mentioned a couple of the injured guys, uh, Tristan Beck and AJ Greffin, who we really haven't seen much of. Same thing for CJ Alexander, who had to have a procedure done on his elbow. Tristan Beck's out with a groin injury, and Greffin is out with some mystery ailment. He played in the first game, and we haven't seen anything else from him since, and we haven't heard anything else. I'm going to continue to poke and pry about that, but I just haven't heard anything else. Um, beyond that, I mean, like the big the big names are like the Trey Harris's, and another guy who's performed really well and was recently promoted too is Logan Brown. Uh, to make room for Shea Langoliers at Rome, uh, Logan Brown was promoted to high A, and that's that's a promotion well deserved too. He's another guy that needs to get more love than he. He's just a solid hitter and does well behind the plate, works really hard. And when you get a guy that in the 35th round that you actually can promote in his first season of full season ball, that's a win. That's that you're absolutely thrilled to be able to do that with a guy like that. And the Braves are really good about finding those day three guys that are later that give you some value that you don't have to look at this draft. You can look at a bunch of other previous ones, um, you know, and then you have those these interesting day, early day three picks like Pig and Botham, Kingham, uh, which we're going to probably talk about a little bit more later. CJ Alexander, those are all kind of earlier day three picks. But even some of these later round guys are still hanging around and bring real uh, giving the Braves some real value. Um, the next question we have is from Justin Haynes, who is always good about asking questions. Thank you, Justin. We appreciate it. And he says, I have six names in AA, Pache, Waters, Anderson, Muller, Davidson, and Walker that should probably be in AAA. How do the Braves manage this roster crunch? Tr- roster crunch? Trades, releases, demotions for borderline guys? 
Uh, Gaurav, I'll go to you first for this, but this is actually kind of an interesting question. So go ahead, bud. I'll definitely think that you'll see, oh, you know, not necessarily just one, but there'll be a, a, you know, a mix of all of them. I don't think that Pache and Waters, I personally wouldn't put them in AAA just because I think why, you know, there, there's plenty of time to slow play it a little bit, let them work on their own things and then move them on. I still think next year in AAA is the best option just because we're, they don't necessarily need to be in Atlanta right now. So you don't have to push them too far. Uh, too fast. Uh, the other guys, like, I'm, you're gonna see, you're gonna see turnover no matter what. There's gonna be injuries in the starting staff, uh, in the starting staff for the staff in general in Gwinnett, so you're gonna see some of those arms move up there. We don't know what's gonna happen with Luis Johara. Like, there's, there's a lot of things that can happen. There's, <laughs> personally, I can't say there's gonna be one in particular, but, uh, I don't necessarily see any demotions, but I'm sure there's gonna be trades for sure. Matt, what about you, man? I think the same as Grav, actually, and I definitely don't agree with promoting the two outfielders at all. Maybe Pache in a little bit, because I think more likely than Waters, his skill set fits on the postseason roster, so maybe you want to get him some looks in AAA before you potentially move him to Atlanta, because I think he could be a real asset on a playoff roster. But I think you just kind of let everything else work itself out. I mean, there's going to be trades. It's pitching. There's always going to be an injury, whether it's in Atlanta or in Gwinnett, and you'll get a chance to move up a pitcher. But that's how I just let it work itself out naturally until you're getting closer to the point where you might want to call Pache up for a postseason roster spot. I'll address the two outfielders here in a second. Uh, I agree with both of you guys in the sense that if there's anything that's going to be traded from in terms of like a, a trade deadline deal, it's going to be from that starting pitching depth at triple at a, I really do feel like, I mean, I, it's hard to project as to who it would be. It would depend a lot on the deal, but you know, any, any of, you know, guys like Bryce Wilson, Colby Allard, Kyle Wright, you know, all those guys to even in, to even some of the lesser guys that are on the roster or some of the relievers, those are all guys that could feasibly be moved whether they be the center centerpieces of deals or kind of th- throw in parts of deals. And there's going to be ways to make triple A depth. And I don't, moreover, considering the command issues that all four of the pitchers that you just mentioned can have, I don't think there's a rush to do it. I mean, the Brazier will have had zero qualms with giving a guy very scant time at triple A and then giving them a realistic chance at a rotation spot or as a roster spot on the bullpen in the bullpen out of spring training. I don't feel a need to bring these guys up to double A to triple A because if I'm just being honest, the level of competition between double A and triple A does not feel like to me to be as big a deal as the ball that they're going to be using. And I don't think that you need as much time to get used to that as a pitcher. In trip, you don't need a bunch of time in AAA to be ready for the majors anymore. I don't feel like. I feel like what happens a lot of times is that the really good talent kind of coalesces in AA, and if they're really, really good, like those guys that you would feel like you need to prepare for for the major leagues, they don't really go in AAA very much anymore. They usually just get bumped up straight to you know straight to the big leagues, or they're held in AAA for like a month. And we're already past the point where you're going to be seeing those guys anyway. Like a lot of those guys are only held down for service time considerations anyway. 
Uh, and I just don't feel that rush. I feel like that you can find out all the information that you need at AA before you have to kind of go against a lot of these veteran journeyman types that are in AAA. You know, they're they're crafty. They kind of hang around as quad A guys, but they don't really prepare you for the major leagues as much as you might think over AA. Now, as for Pache and Waters, this has become a much more interesting question because I don't think any of us projected them to be like number one and number two hitters in the Southern League this year. And depending on which day and which week you're looking at, like one seems to always kind of, they're always battling with each other as to who's hot right now and who's really good, who's really going off. It was Drew Waters and before that Pache was like had a really hot week and they're both just been really excellent. I think that if anyone gets promoted between those two, it would probably be Pache, not just because of the skill set that Matt was talking about, which is worth mentioning for a postseason roster. I just don't think that's going to happen, but I think if anything, it's that, that previous service time that he had in double A, it makes more sense to if you're because you're I don't think you're gonna be able to open up two outfield spots unless you're like trading away Adam Duvall and then you release one of like you release Ortega, I guess, is the best way I would the best way they would be able to do it. But I just don't see a, a need for that for the same reasons I said above is that I don't feel like in double A you're so far it keeps you so much further away from actually making the major league roster. If you need a guy with Pache's skill set as a pinch runner and a, a bench outfielder or something like that for a postseason run that you kind of give a little bit, you want to give a little bit of, of time to and can give you some interesting, you know, value on a postseason roster as a defensive replacement, especially in his case. But I just don't think that's super likely. And with those two guys, they're, I know they're performing really well, but giving them all the reps they need and not kind of like messing with them too much. In terms of like, you know, shipping off the Gwinnett, maybe moving him up and down and all that other stuff. I think that they, what they need the most is just more and more reps because I think they're supremely talented, but they're also not exactly known for their plate discipline and their, you know, recognizing pitches and things like that is still an area that they can work on. As a result, in terms of the roster crunch, I just don't, it's not as pressing as I think it was going to be because the Braves have been pretty good about bringing up guys and putting them on their major league roster that would normally be in Gwinnett. And a lot of those, like, you know, Tukey's kind of in the bullpen right now. Newcomb's in the Newcomb's in the bullpen once he gets off concussion protocol. There's not as much of a crunch. Jeremy Walker's an interesting case just because he's, like, kind of shifted into this, like, super utility bullpen guy. Uh, he was he was kind of handcuffed to Weigel for a while. I think a lot of this is just going to work itself out. I don't think there's as much of a crunch right now as, as you would think, especially when we don't really – know what's going to be happening up until the trade deadline. Ask us again after the July after July 31st goes as to who, what names are around or not around. And that, then you'll kind of see that things seem, are going to sort themselves out, themselves out on the pitching side. But in terms of the outfielders, I just don't think that there's as much of a pressing need to move them up as maybe you would think, even though the numbers look really good. Uh, Amru asks, uh, what's the driving decision to try Philip Pfeiffer as a starting pitcher? I have a kind of simple answer to this, but Matt, I'll just go to you first. What do you what do you think about kind of Pfeiffer? He's been getting some starting pitching experience. I don't really think he's much of an option at this point for the Braves, at least the Atlanta Braves, um, maybe the Mississippi Braves. But, I mean, I think he's more of a minor league depth piece than anything at this point. Grav, what about you, man? Try trying to find value out of his roster slot. slot. Like, uh, yeah, that that is here. Here's something that I think everyone needs to wrap their heads around. I understand that at one point, Philip Pfeiffer was a a fairly highly regarded relief prospect. He has not. He, he still. He's always walks too many guys, and he's been very inconsistent at best. And when you have guys like that, and we've had guys in the, we've had a lot of guys. 
um, that have kind of fit this mold, and it happens, it just happens to everybody, is that you need guys that at the very least that when you have guys promoted or you have starts moved because of weather, things like that, you need guys who are going to give you valuable innings one way or another. Uh, ben Rowan's been doing this at AAA where, you know, if they move the guy who's supposed to start that week up to Atlanta and you just need a quick spot start, some guys can give you four innings and run him out there. That's what Ben Rowan does. That is his job. Um, there are, I'm not saying he doesn't have any value beyond that, but that is his prime, his primary job is to kind of do spot starts and kind of give them emergency innings. We've had Andre Santiago has been around in the system forever. He's had, he's fit the same, um, the same profile. And that's kind of what Pfeiffer is now. And the Braves have had guys like this every year where you'll see that they'll put up relatively decent numbers in a start or two. We'll get asked a bunch of questions about them, but it's just true that what those guys are is that they, they're professionals and they know how to pitch, but they have, you know, either they have middling stuff or they're just, you know, they haven't really performed well when they've been given the chance to succeed as terms, quote unquote, a prospect. And that's kind of what Pfeiffer is at this point is he's kind of a guy that, is going to give try to give the Braves as many innings as he can in situations where the, the roster situation is less than ideal. I don't think it's necessarily a thought that maybe he can, he's a real starting pitching prospect right now. It's that they're trying to figure out how to get value out of him right now, and that's probably the best way to do it. And that's not to say that he's a, a bad guy, that he has no chance of ever making the major leagues, but what his value is right now is that he has some versatility and he has a willingness to put up some innings for them rather than like, no, I'm, I want to be an eighth or a ninth inning guy and that's how I want to be used. It kind of shows that he has some versatility and that, that has some value. And there's certainly been guys who have been used that way who have ended up having, you know, a, a major league impact. I just don't see that as likely right now. You're just trying to get value over having him in the organization. Um, Matt Sharon asks, Nolan Kingham has thrown three shutouts this inning, but the overall numbers are not too great. I watched him in Texas the year, where the year he was drafted and he was electric, but then regressed the following season. What is his prospect outlook look like? Uh, I'm going to throw this to Matt because Kingham's kind of uh, Matt's guy, and then I'll throw it to Matt. Uh, Gaurav, go ahead, bud. So Kingham is a guy that could hit the mid to the upper 90s with this stuff, but he's best when he's not actually hitting the upper, mid to upper 90s because he's more of a guy that relies on heavy sinking life on his fastball to get ground ball outs. He's not really a strikeout pitcher. He's just a guy who's going to get the ball in play with hopefully low-impact ground balls. And with the defense that's behind him in Florida, it really hasn't done him a ton of favors to help him out, which sometimes impacts a guy's numbers in the minor leagues. I haven't been able to watch enough of his starts in Florida to confirm that this is definitely the case because they're not on MILB.TV, but... It definitely feels like it has something to do with why he's not always on. It might be that his stuff isn't sinking at times the way that you'd hope it would, which is also a possibility, or that he's sometimes trying to play up a velocity a little bit more, which takes away from the sink and the ability to force the ground ball. But at least from what I'm seeing, that's the case, and any of those scenarios can really be worked with, and I think he's going to be a guy that eventually sees Atlanta, whether it's in the starter role or more likely to be that reliever guy that forces ground balls and gets called on when there's a runner on first to try to induce a double play. Gaurav, what about you, bud? 
Yeah, I think building on what Matt said, he you know he heavily relies on that sinking fastball, and his defense has straight up let him down. Like he's got the four four three, the four point four three ERA, which is I'm sure is what um, Mr. Matt was was uh, was you know mentioning about the the numbers don't quite add up, but then uh, his defense let him down. He's got a FIP of three point eight zero. Uh, Going back to the heavy sinking fastball uh, and how important a defense is behind him, his ground ball rate of 54.9% uh, would put him fifth in all of Major League Baseball. So if he doesn't have a good defense behind him, there's no way, like, not no way he's going to, to succeed, but it's going to be a, a real hindrance to him. And I think he's he's done quite well, all things considered, and uh, – I really want to see what he would look like, you know, perhaps in Mississippi with a better defense or even better. Well, you can't really say the infield defense of Atlanta to test out how good he is, but that's what I'm saying. He's like I said, heavy sinking action, pretty, pretty solid slider. Okay. Change up, but that sink on the fastball is working real well right now uh, to the tune of he would be, you know, top five in, in major league baseball. So here's my thinking on a guy like Kingham, and I watched him a bit at Rome before he went off to uh, Florida. He's an advanced arm. He's a college arm, so I get the promotion. Guys who rely on sinkers without really consistently good secondary stuff are is a hard profile as a starter. I can only think – I think it's Mike Soroka might be the only guy, only starter starting pitching prospect since I've started this. And I could just be wrong that I might have forgotten somebody that I really liked as a pitching prospect. And it wasn't necessarily because he threw the sinker. It's that he also had a little bit of velocity that he could he could reach back for if he needed to. And his secondaries were really good. And that it required – that a lot of things had to go right for Soroka. The command, he's obviously well beyond his years, and he's one of the better command pitchers uh, on the Braves roster, period. And he has a good changeup, and he has that breaking ball that is almost like purposely inconsistent, so that way guys can't really sit on it. Sometimes he throws it a little softer. Sometimes it's like more of a power, you know, like almost like a knuckle curve look to it. And in Kingham's case, it's not that his stuff is bad; it's that the breaking ball is inconsistent and the changeups meh. And I think that's what speaks to what Matt was saying: is that maybe he profiles best. As a reliever down the ride, down the line, maybe not as a closer, but maybe as a guy that you kind of bring in in middle relief and can maybe throw a couple innings and get ground balls at a high rate because he's definitely good at that. But when you rely on getting balls in play and you don't miss as many bats and your command is a little bit iffy, that profile becomes harder and harder. He could, he could eclipse that. I mean, he, when his breaking ball is good, we've seen him again throw those three shutouts and he throw those complete games. He can be an electric starter, but it's very inconsistent. Until he shows that inconsistency, I tend to agree that it's, you know, it might be a better than average chance that he ends up as a relief guy if he makes it to the major leagues. If they keep throwing him out there as a starter, I think you're going to see these middling numbers and these sort of up and down performances because a lot of it depends on where those ground balls end up because it's not like he is getting all, it's, he's getting ground balls, but they're not, it's not always weak ground balls. It's not always weak content, contact. And one thing to think, to think about, when you think about guys who pitch low in the zone and throw sinkers is that if one thing's been true about major league hitters in the last five years or so is that they've learned how to hit balls that are low and hit them hard. Uh, it's all about launch angle. It's all about, and guys are learning to how to get under those and to get some, get some loft under them. And when you can do that, it's a much harder, it's a harder profile than you would, you would think. So 
in short, that's kind of what that's kind of where our head is. It's not that he's uh, it's not that he's we're writing him off as a prospect, and he could very well turn into a like he could you know if his command gets better and the secondaries get a little better, then his profile changes quite a bit. Uh, there's a lot of variance with him, but that's kind of where our head is with him. Um, RB asks, what's your plan with a guy that blocks everyone? Uh, he's talking about Ender on Twitter that I will not name is to protect you. What? He, cause he's gonna be in the minor leagues now, so I guess we can answer this question. Um, I think that his days in Atlanta are numbered, uh, whether that be in a trade or something like that. I just don't see a world where he gets a lot of starting time anyway. So we'll just hit this really quick. Rob, what do you think? Yeah, if they're, un- if they're unable to trade him, I could see Camargo being sent down since Camargo is struggling. He's got a 65 WRC plus this season. So either Andrew's traded or Camargo set down. And Ender's on the bench as like a fourth outfielder. Matt, what about you? You guys remember what I said the other day in our chat. It just amazes me that we have this outfielder who has an injury that most likely would have kept somebody out day-to-day, most likely. And he's making $5 million. He's a gold glove outfielder. And the fact that he's been out for more than a month at this point and nobody's talking about it at all. Nobody's wondering where he is. Really says a lot about what he's done and what his value within the organization is at this point. So it's hard to bring somebody like that back. Yeah, I I did talk the last time I was uh, at SunTrust. I I kind of asked a couple of the big guys about him, and they, they do think he's been legitimately hurt. That he does have this back injury, but I also think it's true that the Braves have certainly not been pushing the issue that much because Austin Riley's been going wild. And, you know, once you hit, you don't really want to necessarily push the issue as much bringing Ender back when you have the offense clicking the way that it is, especially with Riley in the lineup and you don't have that guy who's really struggling at the plate. I think that it is likely that the timing is interesting that he's going to go to Northport for a week or two, kind of do some workouts, see how his back's doing, and then he goes on a minor league rehab assignment, which kind of coincides with the trade deadline. Is kind of, okay, you now you put him back on a rehab assignment, see how he does for a couple weeks, and then if he's healthy, it's possible that he maybe they already have someone that's interested in him, or they maybe want to see kind of what he is coming back and if he's worth a roster spot in Atlanta or not. Because if he's not, then you either have to move him or you have to you know outright release him. And I don't think that's necessarily what they'll end up doing, but... I think that there might that he there might be saying okay now that once we bring him back we can have scouts look at him kind of see what his value is and see if we can move him from there because I just don't see a great fit for him because Matt Joyce is their fourth outfielder right now other than you know the two utility guys in Culberson and Camargo if you need them in a pinch and Garov's right that you know if worst case scenario if you think the Ender is really good uh, and has come back in that and coming back from the injury he's going to be a valuable piece and you can move him down but Matt Joyce has been really good as that fourth outfielder and that pinch hitting option especially from the left side. So I don't think it's necessarily as simple as just having him in there as a fourth outfielder. But if you need to show, showcase him for a couple of weeks on a rehab assignment or something like that, I can't remember exactly how long you can actually have him on a rehab assignment. It's just not, I'm just forgetting about it because I'm super tired right now. But it seems like a very convenient window to be able to showcase him because I don't really see a great fit for him on this roster right now as it stands. Because he's, he's better defensively than Acuna in center. I'm, I feel fairly comfortable in saying that, but... The the roster, the lineup, top to bottom, is better without him on it right now. And that's kind of a sad thing. Even, I, go ahead. Yeah, even the pitch is better without him. It, it doesn't it doesn't make sense for him to be on the Atlanta roster right now. Yeah, I, I, I can't see a world where I prefer to have Ender pinching, pinch hitting over Camargo uh, because I think that 
Camargo's a better hitter against lefties, and he would be roughly the same against righties probably, uh, even though Camargo's kind of had an off year. And I don't know if I would be super outraged if they ended up putting Camargo down in Gwinnett, if for no other reason to give him some more playing time. But I think it's more likely that we just don't see Ender and Ciarte in Atlanta. But I could be wrong about that. But I think it's likely that we just won't, we're not going to see him for Atlanta for any appreciable amount of time. Maybe it's kind of a showcase type thing, giving him some time in the field so that way other teams can get a look at him. But I just don't see, I just don't really see a, a way that he ends up on the roster. So that's just me. Um, Ryan Whittington asks, who do you think ends up having the longest MLB career of all the 29 draft picks not named Shea, Shea Langoliers? Uh, we'll go to Matt first since he's our draft guy, and then we'll go to Garov. Go ahead, Matt. I missed that. The, the question was, who do you think will end up being the longest, have the longest MLB career of all the 2019 draft picks not named Langoliers? Hmm. Can I say Mackay Backstrom? We we don't know if he's signed yet. We can't. We can't. I, I, we will. I understand that, and I I mean I I actually wouldn't actually pick him as the guy just because he's a high schooler, but he's definitely my favorite guy out of that group. But if I had to pick somebody else, it's got to be Kalich. I mean, he's just a safe reliever, and it's got to be him. But this I'd is like so unfair. I wanted to go first. I was going to say the exact same thing, and I was going to try and blow Matt's mind by having an answer. No, Matt's too, Matt, Matt's too smart for you, Garoff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the dude is a is, is a reliever straight up. He shouldn't – like, it's going to take, like, a couple years, but it's not going to take long for him to be in Atlanta and fastball slider. Like, it's not the sexy pick. It's not the sexy, the sexy name that I'm sure um, – that I'm sure Ryan was asking for. But, uh, yeah, it's it's – actually a pretty easy choice for me i i tend to agree that that's actually a, a pretty that's a, that's certainly a safe guess is like a guy that is a reliever maybe he isn't a closer maybe he isn't you know it's not like we're we're talking about kimbrel here we're talking about a guy that's a good relief prospect probably one of the better relief prospects in the draft who was solely a relief prospect i'm sure some of these starting pitching prospects that come out of this draft are going to end up as relievers and a couple of them end up being good relievers um another guy it's in, like Go ahead. Just real quick, it's like AJ Minter, you know. It's a safe pick. In terms of like having an MLB career, we're not Correct. saying like he'll, he'll he, it's not we're not saying he's going to have the best career of all these guys, but the, a lot of these other picks that we like are they're high school prep guys. They're guys that there's a lot there's a lot of attrition with these kinds of guys. And if of the ten guys in this draft that we're really high on of these prep guys, if two of them end up being decent major league players, that's a huge win. <laughs> In terms of how these drafts work, because you just all all three of these guys aren't going to be major leaguers. It's just never going to happen. It's it's just kind of is what it is. And placing bets on one or the other, there's a lot of talented guys, and a lot of it kind of sorts itself out through the minor league system. It's one of them. If there is the minor league system in terms of projecting guys and getting the bet, all of their prime, it does hurt them a bit. But what it does do is it kind of the best, only the best of the best come out of there. And it's it's a murderer's row. It's really hard. It's a it it's just this forge that will forge guys that some of them you wouldn't think of have been good and they persevere through and that's a great story. And a lot of guys who are super talented just can't make it because they have one flaw that ends up getting exploited in double A or something like that. 
prospecting guys in, out of the draft in general is a recipe in disappointment because you're going to look at the first two rounds of this draft in a, in a couple of years and go, wow, so many of these guys are already out of baseball or haven't been able to figure out anything out of coming out of rookie ball. That's just what happens. Um, a name that I am going to mention uh, is Braden Shoemake as another potential option simply because since he can kind of play all over the infield, as a utility guy, that has value in today's game. And I still don't think he's going to be like a super – I don't think he's going to be like an all-star type. I don't think that – he is kind of be looking back and go, wow, this is a guy that, you know, ends up anchoring an infield. But as a skill set of a guy who could probably hit, not sure if we're going to be able to see much power, and he can play it all around the infield, that has a lot of value in today's game, which it didn't used to have. But that roster versatility is something that is valued. So whether it's with the Braves or elsewhere, you know, we've seen guys with that, you know, Javier Baez being at the top end of that to, you know, other guys like, you know, Gohan Camargo, Culperson, and others that they can be valuable players even though they're not everyday players, if that makes any sense. I know, Matt, I know. Just, this is it. 21st pick and full slot is just hard to deal with. Hey, hey, that, that the guys like him have value, and it, it's if he ends up and if he ends up being great, we can play this back and go, wow, thank God that you know we have Shoemake on the roster. But he's a guy that we think is going to be a major leaguer, and in terms of like pr- the best chance to have a valuable career in the major leagues, even if it's not something that is an all star down the line, that's still something that has value, and it's still something that could very realistically happen as a guy who provides real value playing multiple positions with some ability to hit and hopefully it ends up being better than that. We'll see. Um, Aaron Cohen asked us, uh, who are the top three position players and pitchers to watch in the short season affiliates, uh, in, which means uh, the Gulf Coast League uh, Braves as well as Danville. Uh, that's tough. I'm, I'm, I'll go to Garab first, and then we'll kick at the map. Yes. Awesome. All right. The three pitchers I picked, I, I hope I impress Matt with this. I've been doing – my research over the past like two, three weeks trying to trying to get on the same level when it comes to, to prospects. All right, here we go. The three pitchers I would pick would be Cameron Kurz over in Danville. Heavy fastball, good slider, doesn't walk too many, and he's got, you know, a great head on his shoulders. Jared Johnson from this year's draft class. He's got a really he's got a plus fastball and a real potential plus slider. And then Tyler Owens, you know, we bought him out of his Florida commit, real plus real plus fastball hits ninety eight. And then a real good slider as well. My three position players are all going to be in the GCL. And it's the three that you would totally expect. Malco Harris, Vaughn Grissom, and Caden Morton. You know, all three real raw athletes to, like, the highest order. Or to, like, they can all throw in the 90s, plus they have, man, they're, they're, their Diamond Kinetics metrics page are just sexy. It's, like, 90 percentile on almost everything. Uh those are my six players. I hope I impress Matt. All right, Matt. How do you do? He took five of my six. Wow! Wow! <laughs> Got five of the six. All right, Matt. Who's who's the one that who's the one that he, you that you have that he doesn't? Obviously, I would go with Owens. Obviously, I would go with Johnson. Obviously, I'd go with Grissom. Obviously, Backstrom, and obviously Morton. I don't think anyone would have expected anything different out of me with those five. But then the sixth pit player is going to obviously be a pitcher since I have three hitters, and that's going to end up being Darius Vines. I think he's going to do well. I think he's got good pitchability and has a chance to be something as a starter, especially as he fills in a little bit more. I think he's kind of bounced around a little bit college-wise, and 
the stability and the pro coaching could really help him out, possibly taking that next step with his already solid three-pitch mix. So he's the guy that I'd watch. But there's some other guys that, two more hitters that could just as easily be mentioned. So all those names are great, and they're like the ones I would have mentioned. I'm just going to add a couple names rather than kind of rehash a lot of all of that. Um, but I still really like Stephen Polini. I really do. And it's not – what usually happens with the draft is we'll reach out to folks, whether it be scouts in the Braves organization, other scouts or other people that we know that we really trust and kind of get information on them. But it's rare that information comes to us unsolicited about a pick. And that's what happened on dra- on the second day of the draft with me with Paolini. The Braves really do think that they found something special in Paolini, and it was kind of interesting that they had to go over slot in the fifth round to sign him, which leads me to believe that there are he could be, end up being a really interesting. He's it, look, he's Connecticut high school, not traveling a lot of the national so- showcase type events, so there's going to be some rawness to his game. But they think he hits for power. He can really run. And they think he can stick in center. If all those things are true, you could see him down in the Gulf Coast League, which is where he's inevitably going to have to start since he's not on the Danville roster. He's a guy that could be really interesting as a prospect, like a really high ceiling. Again, we're talking about a real floor of just not being able to make get out of the rookie ball just because he is kind of an untested high school outfielder, but they really think they have something special with that kid. Uh, another guy that I really, uh, another couple guys really that I like, uh, Cody Milligan's had a really, really good start to his time in Danville and kind of an interesting profile as a, as a, as a Juco community college type, but seems like he can, he can hit and he's a guy that I'm kind of keeping an eye on uh, as well as Bryce Ball, who's having uh, a good start to his time in uh, Danville as well. Already has his first career home run as does Milligan uh, seems to have like he has some power. And those are the kind of the interesting sort of gem types. Go ahead. Ball's man. got two hits in both of his first two games and is a guy that a lot of people like actually just that he's limited to first base and he's a battle-only prospect, so he's really going to have to hit to really have value. But he's definitely that potential first baseman that you want to watch. I'll say this. In this system that does not have first base prospects, really, I mean, you know, there, there are times when you look at Griffin Benson and he looks good, and other times where he, like, strikes out too much. And, you know, if you you can go all the way up from Rome up, all the guys who are playing first base are kind of, like, it's they do, like, do it by committee or by rotation. They'll have guys just playing over there. The, the two DH guys will kind of switch off and things like that. As, like, a true first base prospect, if he hits, he's there's not anyone else at first base that's going to be blocking him from moving quickly. So as long as he keeps hitting... He's a, he has a chance of being a real thing. Um, now, if Makai Backstrom signs, that's another guy who could be at first base going forward that could also hit for oh, a bunch oh, of yeah. power. So, but we just have we have no reason to believe he's signed. We just don't know if he's signed yet. And Makai or Makai's family, if that is happening or going to happen, if you could let us know, because he's a guy that we all are kind of excited to see as to whether or not he's actually going to be in the organization or not. But he has a lot of things he has to kind of you know. I'm sure he has, he's weighing a lot of decisions, or you know, and he has a lot of things going on with his life too. So. You know, this is going to be an interesting situation as to whether or not they sign him because he's another guy who can really hit uh, and is, would be interesting going forward. Um, that kind of answers the next question, which is uh, what players watching in Danville. We've already kind of talked about several of those guys. Uh, Kyle Tate asked who's, who voiced our sweet intro, and I just want to do – we'll do this quickly. Uh, Kyle Tate, for those who have listened to our intro, intro uh, he was the former voice of the Mississippi Braves – has is been a dear friend of ours. He's been on the the original version of the podcast before. 
Uh, he's also, he's now doing voiceover work. It's kind of his main job. He's narrating audiobooks and he's also doing some sports stuff. I still believe he's doing all, doing some of the sports stuff with, uh, some fo- calling some football games, et cetera. I'm not actually sure if he's still doing that, but we love Kyle. I think and, he was at the Georgia Tech game that I was at this year when they played uh, Clemson. I mean, very possible he's an alum from there. So it's, but look, we love Kyle. If you need voiceover work, if anyone out there is listening, who has their own podcast. I'm sure we, we have lots of friends of ours who are doing other Braves podcasts and even other Braves minor league pod podcasts. If you guys need intro work done, go call Kyle. He's just, he's, he's great at what he does. He'll treat you fairly. And he's, again, he's just one of the absolute best and he gets back to you quickly. I love the intro he did for us. Uh, Garrett's not really doing the podcast with us anymore, which is really the only bugbear I have for getting a new, new intro. But once we do the new, new intro, uh, I know exactly who I'm going to be calling, and it's going to be Kyle. And oddly enough, he lives about 15 minutes away from me, and I still don't get to see him as much as I need to, and we need to remedy that. I'm going to probably go fishing with him at some point soon. Um, next question we had was, how do you think the Braves rank in uh, developing prospects compared to other organizations, say like the Dodgers or the Astros? I have some specific thoughts about this, but Gaurav, I'll go to you first, and then we'll go to Matt. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll go in order. I'd rank the Braves fourth. Actually, I, I got the Rays as number one, and the Astros, and the Dodgers, and the Braves. I mean, that's, that, 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 that sounds about right. There's, a, there's a lot of teams that are really good at developing prospects, and I think a lot of the teams are using a lot of the same, a lot of, like, tried and true methods, but, uh, Matt, what do you think? There's nobody at finding and developing prospects on the Yankees. Both what they actually find, what they develop to put in, and the guys that they use in trades. I mean, I don't think you can argue that there's anyone better than the Yankees. I think the Rays are probably a close second at this point. And after that, you could probably put the Braves in their third. If you're talking about just pitching, I don't think there's anyone better than the Braves. But those three teams, the Indians are right up there too right now. But uh Houston's obviously there. But it's got to be the Yankees first for me. So when I saw this question, it started kind of making me think about I think overall, we're all mentioning the same names, right? But I think some teams are better at developing pitching and some are develop, better at developing position players. I'm not a, necessarily a big fan of how the Yankees pitching prospects have sorted out, have, have ended up, at least when they were as, when they were Yankees. Um, there are guys who have moved on from the Yankees organization who have performed well and maybe, but it makes you wonder a little bit as to whether the Yankees development kind of had a hand in that versus the the new teams that they were on. They kind of saw something and they fixed something and they end up performing well. I don't think there's anyone better at the Yankees than performing than developing position players. The Astros are right there with them too, uh, and the Dodgers are really good at kind of finding guys who didn't have a ton of value. And I'm not sure exactly what metrics they use in terms of identifying guys that work well, but they've had guys that kind of pop up out of nowhere and all of a sudden go wild in AAA, and then they end up putting putting them on their roster. But their tra- their their track record with pitching is a little bit hit and hit and miss. You have guys like Walker Bueller who have been great. Obviously, Clayton Kershaw is one of the best pitchers we've seen. But we've also there's also been some high profile injuries and some high profile failures with the Dodgers too. Uh, I tend to agree that the Braves are probably the best at developing pitching. Uh, at least at this moment, we've seen a lot. We've seen a lot of change in development and scouting and kind of how that system works. And it's going to be interesting to see if, whether or not they can continue to develop pitchers the way they were with kind of a new personnel and kind of a new mindset. And it's not something that's, it's not a static thing because the, the scouting department and the player development is something that's constantly changing. And that's been particularly true with the Braves. And we're seeing the fruits of the labor from the last few years right now, 
but we don't know is how this new this new setup is going to carry into the future. Um, but you're, you named some of the right. I mean, the question the questioner mentioned the Dodgers and the Astros, but again, the Indians, the Yankees. The Rays are all really good at it. The Rays are like annoyingly good at it just because they don't have any resources, but what resources they've had, they've put into making sure that what prospects they have, they can develop into major league talent, which wasn't always the case because they had one draft where they got Blake Snell, but they had like most like a crazy number of picks on day one. And like it was only Blake Snell that came out of that, but their international department's really good. They kind of invested in the right guys. They have Wander Franco now and they, they've been really good about getting guys and developing their own guys, milking them their service time for as long as humanly possible and then trading them away when they, when they get expensive. But there, there's, there's some teams. I mean, I put the Padres too. The, there were, it's still kind of, Wait and see as to how it all turns out, but that minor league system is really good, and they had some really high quality guys, uh, and they've certainly identified the right guys to get back in trades. Uh, most notably, Fernando Tatis Jr., who's been insane uh, since coming up. Um, now, Kevin asks, uh, he asked a little bit about the short season teams. We've already talked a little bit about those short season guys, short season clubs. Um, but Eric Russell asked, Colby Allard has been better lately, and I'm wondering why that is, and if you think it can last. I'm gonna throw this one to Matt first because Matt Solkob saw Colby recently. So go ahead, bud. So one of my favorites that I saw recently was Kyle Wright, and he pitched really well on, was that Saturday night? I Or was that Friday night? My days are a little mixed up at this point. Yeah, I can't I remember. Went to games four days in a row, but Kyle Wright was just absolutely dominant. He had one ball that was hit in the first inning to right field, and Travis Demir had the ball go into his glove, and it fell right out. The next batter comes up and Wright clearly was affected by this and tried to overthrow a pitch. And he'd been hit in 94-95 consistently. Threw a pitch 96 and it immediately got hit out of the yard for a two-run home run. But other than that, he was just dominant. He ended up striking out 10. I think he may have not given up another run in that entire start. He ended up seven and two-thirds with those two runs, had two walks, but his command was mostly great for the entire outing. I mean, he looked like the guy that got that large bonus as the number five overall pick a couple years ago. Of course, then he ended up coming back out there this afternoon, and he gave up three runs over four innings on five hits, two walks, six strikeouts. So he was down again today after being very up in his last start. I think he gave up another home run today. Uh, he's definitely an interesting guy, but the inconsistency is there, and I think the problem with him is that he tends to overthink things and push when he's struggling in any way, and that leads to more success against him by the opponent. And it was just like this going back to his days at Vanderbilt. Uh, Colby Allard seems to have added a little bit more velocity, and he has become a prospect for me again. Maybe not the guy that we were hoping when he was drafted, but he still has number four, number five starter upside. He added a cutter, which I didn't see a lot of uh, that he was at least willing to challenge batters with, but he was throwing it. He was getting it over, and he was using it as a pitch, as a pitch that he knew they'd take or maybe to try to get them to chase it out of the zone, but it was definitely a better version than what we saw last year. And he's suddenly a guy that has some value again. And Bryce Wilson struggled a little bit with 
the defense that was behind him in the start that I just saw, but he's still a guy that most of his stuff looked good. He's just a guy that needs to have a good defense behind him because he's going to give up some ground balls and some fly balls that just need to be where a defender's at. And the Gwinnett defense just was not great that night. It was just... It, it, it's what happens when you have a minor league team and you have some call-ups and some injuries and you had a couple guys getting a day off on that day and that's exactly what happened on that day that I saw him. But the stuff is there. You see, Eric, what you got there is you asked about Colby Allard and you basically have to hear about three-fifths of the Gwinnett rotation. From So the, the, you know, this is the kind of the, a little bit of a bonus answer for you. I, I do have some thoughts on Allard, but I just wanted to throw it to Garav really quick before I shared them. Go ahead, bud. Yeah, so really, my my notes for this were let Matt talk <laughs> for that exact reason. Like I kid you not, my notes are let Matt talk. Uh, Matt saw him earlier. We're talking about Colby Allard. I'm talking about the question and, and that was asked. Uh, he saw him recently. You can't dispute the results. You know he's performing pretty well. The the strikeout rates. I mean everything else is about the same. But Matt said the increased velocity was there, which got me a little more intrigued. I, I actually haven't seen one of his starts this year just because it sounds terrible, but I got a little bored of watching him pitch. Uh, but after Matt said that, I began to look at him a little more, and I'm, I'm sure sure is going to watch his next start. Yeah, so I've been asking a little bit about Colby because the results have been what I would say fine. Um, you know, the walks were a little bit uneven to start the season, and it's not like he's getting shelled. But he wasn't just missing a lot of bats, but the results were kind of increasingly getting. And I started hearing things like, hey, we're seeing the velocity in the low 90s more and more. Uh, he has added a cutter, which has kind of given him another, sort of another breaking ball that he can kind of, since the curveball has definitely taken a, is definitely a, a grade lower than he was in the lower minors for whatever reason. These are things that happen, whether or not he has, sometimes he doesn't have command of it, sometimes it just kind of doesn't have the best shape, and it's kind of something that you don't really have to respect as a pitch. And when you have a guy that when you're throwing the low, when you're throwing the high eighties, low nineties and your secondaries aren't really there for you, that gets really tricky. And especially, and you're going to get hit, uh, whether or not you're hit hard is kind of up to you and ultimately on you. You really need to have those secondaries and that, that good command to be able to get away with a, what is basically an average fastball. But the, the fastball is playing up a little bit more now. He has that cut fastball and the results have been pretty good lately. So what, how long can it last? I think he kind of is what he is. He's kind of a like the ceiling is like a fourth or fifth starter who can probably throw some innings. Uh, if the command continues to improve, the biggest thing for him is that he's going to get hit every now and then. He's not going to be like a guy who, you know, only gives up three or four hits at a start. He'll be kind of a guy that's going to be dealing with base runners on. But you know, he's a guy that can feasibly get some ground balls, and he has if he can continue to develop his secondaries, particularly his command of them, he could very well be a fourth or fifth starter in the major leagues. Uh, he's not going to be a guy that's. I don't think he's a super exciting prospect anymore in terms of you know he's going to be a guy that you know is a frontline starter type. I just don't think he has that velocity in him anymore. And whether you think that's from the back injury from early in his career, or that's just kind of what he always was. But he is a guy that is remaining a prospect. And I know for a lot of people, he's not going to put up those big strikeout numbers, which makes his profile a little tricky. But he has some things going for him. And he's looked. there's been things about his profile this year that are better than they were previously. The fastball velocity is kind of ticked up a little bit. And he's kind of added a, he's added a cutter that makes things more interesting 
And if you kind of squint your eyes and see him on the right day, you could see him as a middle rotation starter, but I think he's more of a back end of the rotation type of guy. Um, Matt Dutton asks, uh, some of the top pitching prospects have had the struggles this year. Is there anybody who's looked bad enough that we should reevaluate their standing in the organization? Garav, I'll go to you first. For this one, I just wrote no. I don't, no one's looked bad enough where you need to reevaluate their standing in the organization. I mean, you might see some, someone move down a little bit in the rankings, but it's not like anyone's had a, such a bad season where they need to be released or anything like that. Matt, what about you, man? Nothing. I don't think you have to change anything. Just let them work their way through it at this point. So there's a lot of ways to take this question. No one's been so bad as they need to be released. Uh, Izzy Wilson did get released. Uh, it's not He's not a pitching prospect. It's kind of worth mentioning. And it's also worth mentioning that this year was – you always heard scouts talk about Izzy's tools, but I heard a lot more things this year about his makeup and his work ethic that had forced me to basically, I was, even before his release, I wasn't going to have him as a top 30 prospect. So I know that doesn't really, it's not in the context of this question necessarily, but in terms of guys who were both performing poorly and have seen their shine fall off, those are two, that's, that's a name that was right away going to be on my list to answer this question, but he's now been released from the organization. As far as I'm aware, I, haven't, I actually haven't seen the tweet that confirmed that, but you guys were talking about it today, and uh, I'm not honestly not that surprised, especially given the amount of roster moves they were having to make to put the draftees, the the 2019 draftees in the system. Uh, it's a move that I was kind of expecting it was going to happen sooner rather than later. Yeah, He was not a particularly beloved guy in the organization from, from on a lot of levels. Not all of them, but a lot of guys weren't particularly happy with kind of how he was treated versus how hard he worked and kind of an overall, you know, what he deserved to be getting rather than, you know, just banking on his tools rather than actually looking at kind of how he conducted himself. Um, in terms of pitching prospects, if you're talking about Luis Gohara, at this point, I just don't know if he's ever going to pitch again. And it's, you know, you, you, you hear that it's a shoulder issue. You hear whispers about kind of some off the field things. And, you know, some of it is a fair criticism of how he's conducted himself in the past. And some of it is he's dealing with some real issues. He had a lot of family issues last year and that's perfectly fair and understandable. He's continually dealt with health issues. He's continually dealt with weight issues. At some point, you have to say maybe he's just not a prospect anymore, and I'm I'm not going to be ranking him. And I know that he still has a couple innings left in terms of he's officially not a prospect anymore. But until I know even he's going to pitch again, I think it's fair to question as to whether or not he's going to be a guy that's even something that can be relied on anymore. A couple of guys who are certainly losing their luster with me. Joey Wentz is one. We've already seen kind of the, the fastball the fastball velocity backed up uh, from what we were kind of promised from draft day. Uh, I, I always thought some of that was smoke and mirrors, the guys throwing 97, 98, but we never really saw him throw that as a pro. But what we did see were some really good secondaries. What we haven't seen this year are that those secondaries have not been very good. He's been hit pretty hard this year, uh, and the command hasn't been nearly as good. And another guy that I want to see more, but unfortunately because he plays in Florida, we can't really get your looks at, is Freddie Tarnock because I really love the arm. I uh, love the fastball. I think that he can end up being a really interesting pre- pitching prospect. But Florida has not been particularly kind for him. And in a league where it's actually there's kind of a built-in advantage for pitchers, he hasn't really helped his own cause with a lot of walks, and he's been hit a lot harder than I think you would expect from a guy with that level of stuff. I think he's more likely to end up as a reliever now than I did but to start the season, which is kind of sad because, again, I really like the arm, and I was really bullish on him. But until I can kind of see him performing more consistently – and kind of missing those bats and kind of actually, you know, hitting his spots more. 
again, I wish I could get a better look at him, and uh, I'm just not going to go to Florida to take the 50-50 chance that that game's going to be rained out, unfortunately. And you always kind of take those Florida results with a grain of salt, just from the good and the bad, just because so many things go on that are weird. You know, the, the Fire Frogs play a lot of doubleheaders that are preceded by rainouts, and that kind of throws off schedules and things like that. And I'm not indifferent to that, but I also need to see some more results out of him in terms of how I want to view him as a prospect, but I can understand why people would want to bet on that arm because it's a really live one. Um, next question we had is, uh, how long do we see uh, a watcher, a Waters or Pache promotion? We already discussed that earlier. Um, but one question immediately after is actually from our own Aaron Houston, a.k.a. Sparhawk, um, is do you care about Waters, walk rates, and K rates, or what are, and what are you wanting to see from him in, after the All-Star break? Uh, Matt, I'll go to you, then we'll go to Garav. Go ahead, bud. I'd like to see the K rate go down. I'm not really as worried about the walk rate, although I'd like to see it go up. But I'm definitely worried about the strikeout rate a little bit, which I don't think I'm worried about it for where he's at now. But I think better pitching will be able to attack that much more than what the pitching that he's at right now can actually do to him. So I think if he doesn't improve that, we could have an issue. But if he's able to improve that, then he's going to be a true five-pool guy. Garav, what about you, man? Yeah, yeah, for me, it's kind of the same, except that I said I, I'd like to see him walk a little more. I think I think the K rate will go down. It has been, I want to say it has been going, it's been trending downwards uh, over the past, like, month or so. I would love to see, I would just love to see him take more walks. This is the main thing I would maybe maybe be a little more aggressive on, on the bases. I don't know, but if I had to choose one thing, yeah, I, I would want him to walk a little more. The approach from Waters is basically the only down that we've really heard about him. And before kind of this last month where Drew's kind of been going off a bit more from both sides of the plate, really, um, is that you just kind of want to see the approach being better because he's kind of swinging at everything. And it's he has enough ability at the plate to put the ball in play. But the strikeout rate ha- ha- was dangerously high for a while. And again, it's been creeping down a little bit. And the walk rate has been creeping up a little bit. I think that the walk rate is going to take care of itself because he's been so good. Um, that, and he's hitting for more power now. Like we're seeing more balls get out of the park. That I think pitchers are going to be a little bit more careful. At least you know, well, right now they're saying, well, the worst that he can do is hit a double. But now that he's starting to hit the home run, hitting the home runs more, and kind of getting more extra base hits, that you're going to see pitchers kind of be a little more careful with him. So I think the walk rate's going to kind of take care of itself. But he's going to have to learn to lay off some of these pitches, these pitchers' pitches, and kind of not get in pitchers' counts because otherwise, like the K right is is high enough that you worry that more advanced pitchers and sm- and guys who have an, a really strict approach as to how they want to deal with him, particularly how he handles breaking balls late in counts, that's going to be the thing that's going to have uh, – what I'm going to be watching for is kind of how he handles those pitchers' counts and how he works at bats and how he works pitch counts and kind of gets into uh, those 3-2 counts and what happens after that because those 2-2 and 3-2 counts, what's happening more often than not now is either – Again, he's been hitting really well, so he's been putting the ball in play a very bit of a time, but a lot of those times he ends up striking out in those at-bats. And I kind of want to see those kind of how he manages those late counts and what pitchers are, how pitchers are pitching to him. But, I mean, he's been hitting really well. We don't want to talk about him as if he's been had this terrible year where this K-rate's the only thing that's holding him back. He's been doing really well. Um, Pache and Waters are the two best hitters in the Southern League, and I don't feel like I'm – that's hyperbole. They've just been the two best. But if that's one thing I'm looking for is kind of how he his approach 
changes as he realizes kind of what pitcher's game plans are against him and taking that to his advantage because he's been able to hit the ball quite a bit. But you want to kind of see him kind of get that walk rate up a little bit just so he can kind of use his legs more on the base paths. Um, next question was about Gohara. We already talked about, uh, we already talked about him. Uh, he is, he had a shoulder issue and he has a lot of other things going on. And I don't even know if he's throwing right now. So, uh, the short answer is we don't really know. And honestly, it's not even worth kind of d- dwelling too much because simply we just don't have a lot of information. And at this point, I just don't know if he's ever going to pitch again. This is a short version of the story. Um, Justice Barrington asks, Hayden Deal has quickly turned himself into a legit prospect this season with a dynamic cutter. Uh, this is actually where you get to talk a little bit about Nolan Kingham. Uh, what are your thoughts on his rotation mate, Nolan Kingham? Two years younger and three complete games this ceiling. Does he have a, a decent ceiling? Uh, Matt, do you have any other thoughts you want to share about Kingham before we kind of what, – what his ceiling is, or have we kind of covered that, you think? I think we've pretty much covered him. Yep. Ceiling is kind of a, could be a back end rotation, mid rotation guy. Uh, we think more like what is a likely outcome or uh, at least a highly probable one is that he ends up being a reliever. Um, BJ Barton asks, what prospects do you most likely think will be traded in order for the Braves to acquire bullpen help? Rob will go to you first. Travis Samaris. And if Adam Duvall counts as a prospect when he's not really, then Adam Duvall, those two. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the type of relief, pros, relievers that are going to be going after are guys that aren't going to be having a ton of team control because those are the ones that teams are going to be willing to give up. So guys in that demerit range, you know, like the late teens, early 20s in terms of rankings are going to be guys going to be targeting. Anyone in particular you think we might end up losing, Matt? I can definitely picture the guys that Grav mentioned and as well as at least one of the pitchers, I don't have any guess as to who. I think it mostly depends on what player we're going after and what that team would prefer. But it's hard to say that it's going to be Kyle Wright or Bryce Wilson when, let's say, it's the Giants and Madison Bumgarner as an example. The Giants might prefer Wright. Well, let's say the Indians, if we were going for Bauer, might prefer Bryce Wilson for all you know. So it's really hard do guess um, which pitcher from that group, but guys like uh, Demerit or uh, Duvall would probably be likely to go unless they're really just hoping to hold on to Duvall for extra depth in case of an injury because he offers that power bat that we could use off the bench if there was another spot for him. So I think that the most likely is that not a particularly high-ranked prospect. So I don't think a guy like Kyle Wright or Ian Anderson or anything like that or Bryce Wilson is likely for a trade deadline deal because, again, I think that they'd be going after guys who don't have a lot of team control. Now, if you if there's a really good reliever that all of a sudden becomes on the market and has like three years of team control or something, you could see a world where a top 100 guy that the Braves have could be on the table. And that would be, you know, again, one of those Kyle Wright, Bryce Wilson types. But... I think it's more likely that it's kind of a more of a minor transaction, that they find a guy that's, you know, a seventh inning guy who is just reliable, not a sexy option, but is better than some of the options that the Braves have been trotting out there in the bullpen that will give you some value. And I think that's the most likely, the most likely scenario is that we're not losing, we're not talking about a guy who is a high, a top, a top prospect, but again, someone got one of those guys, pitchers in the late teens, early twenties, um, you know, again, maybe like a, a guy like a Hayden Deal or something like that that would be sent off to get some bullpen help because I just don't see any of the top relievers being in play on the on the deadline. Just like a guy who's reliable and maybe 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 it's a rental and you don't actually have a give up a guy that good, but a guy that has some value, more of a lottery ticket type. Um, 
that's pretty much all the time we have for this episode. We've actually gone much longer than I thought we were. So we, I've already saved the last few questions, and we'll do those on a, we'll do those in a different episode. We'll make sure we get talked about those guys. But before we go, Grav wants to talk to you a little bit about the Patreon uh, the Patreon account that we've actually kind of are trying to get revitalized again. Go ahead, bud. Yeah, thanks so much to everyone that listens and tunes in every single weekend. We are bringing back our Patreon. If you want to head on over to Twitter, you can find us at at uh, road the number two Atlanta, and you can check the pin tweet, and that's where you can find our Patreon. Yeah, and if you want to support the podcast, it would mean the world to us. You don't feel like it's oblig you are obligated to do so. We're going to be here every week regardless, but there are those who have been shown interest in wanting to continue to support the podcast. The only reason that this podcast was able to restart was from some very generous support from listeners like you guys who just said, hey, we're, we really want Road to Atlanta to come back. What can we do to help? And we, it, it was overwhelming to us. It was, I was kind of blown away that everyone was willing to help out as much as they did. But if you want to support, and again, it's what Patreon is, is you can donate $5 a month if you want. You can donate more than that if you want. But all it does is it's a, it's a monthly contribution that allows us to continue to grow the podcast. It allows us to continue to get more equipment, to be able to take more cool trips. Um, I know Matt's been making a lot of trips to the live games. I'm going to live games. All of us are willing to go and make these trips, but it makes it a lot easier for us to, you know, whether it be just covering gas money to getting new equipment, to more, even more than that, allow this, what this Patreon does is allows us to do that. And any and all support is greatly appreciated. Uh, as soon as I said that the Patreon account was live, we actually got one more patron right away. And for those who were helping us along the way earlier, we greatly appreciate what you did. And it was on, it was on us for come, for kind of fading off for a while. And if you want to support us again, I guarantee it's going to be happening every, Road to Atlanta is going to be happening every week. And any and all helps appreciate it, but don't feel like if you, if you can't, or you're not willing to, our feelings will not be hurt either way. We're going to be back each week regardless. So with that said, guys, thank you so much for listening. Uh, make sure you follow, like, like Rob said, you're following Road, Road, the number two Atlanta on Twitter, where you'll find out when new podcasts are going up. This will be going up uh, on th every Thursday night. Uh, it kind of ranges in times as to when we're available and how we make that work. But do, guys, do you have anything else we want to say before we can we sign off? Um, not really other than that this GCL team looks like it's going to be fun to watch. That's, that's pretty much it. We're, we're following a lot of these drafty guys, and this is kind of the fun part for us, is where we get to see what these new toys that the Braves have in their system, how well they're doing. So, thank you very much again. Make sure you're following the podcast. Make sure you're, you're subscribed to the podcast on iTunes or whatever your favorite podcast purveyor is. Uh, it's under the Talking Chop feed, so if you haven't been able to find it, um, all you have to do is go to iTunes and talk Talking Chop. You get both this podcast as well as the Talking Chop podcast, which is hosted by Brad. And then I make periodic – we all kind of make periodic appearances on from – and so make sure you get that. You get two podcasts for one feed. It works out great. And until next time, guys, we'll see you on the road. <laughs>